So a couple of weeks ago, someone came and asked me about a verse. In fact, I believe it was Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, how many of you ever heard the verse that says, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord's thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you ever heard that verse? Here's my question. Does it apply to you? Yes. So this was their question. Does it apply to me? Absolutely. Then the question is, how do I know? So today, we want to talk about that because we want to talk about what, how do I determine what scriptures apply to me? And if you've ever read a scripture and wondered, well, does that apply to me? Can I stand in faith for that scripture? Or, or does that scripture only apply to somebody a couple thousand years ago that it was written for? You know, there are some verses in the Bible that we probably hope don't apply to us. 2 Kings chapter 116 says, Then they said to him, Thus said the Lord, because you sent your messengers to acquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, it is because there is no god in Israel that you inquire of his word. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed in which you have gone, but you will surely die. Does that one apply to you? No, thankfully. But some people get the idea that we just go through the Bible and we just pick the ones we like. Think, oh, I'll take that one. I'd rather not have that one. I'd take that one. And although there may be people who have done that, that is not the right way to do it. So we're going to talk about that today. And sometimes, how many of you just, you know something because you know it, but, but you don't know why you know it? Have you ever known something like that? So I, I, I don't know. Most of you know that I speak Spanish. My parents were missionaries uh, for seven years in Mexico, and I was born on year two. So I lived in Mexico until I was five years old. And I spoke Spanish, and I spoke it well, as well as a five-year-old speaks whatever language they speak. And so we came back to the U.S., and I was uh, bilingual, and we broke the habit of speaking in Spanish in the, ho- in the home. I still wanted to go back ever since I was in kindergarten. I said, I want to go be a missionary someday. So I wanted to go back to Mexico, but by the time I was 10, I had forgotten most of my Spanish. And so my parents wisely determined that if they didn't put me around Spanish speaking, that I probably would continue to lose all of my Spanish. So they called up a pastor in Guadalajara, Mexico, and they said, we're going to fly Joshua down. These are his flight numbers. If you could pick him up and put him with somebody in your church who doesn't speak English, that would be great. <laughs> and so I went. And in their defense, they actually, I stayed with that pastor who was a bilingual fa- family for one week, and I stayed with some people in their church who did not speak any English for the other week, and then came back, and then I started going every summer <clears throat> to Mexico uh, later to Panama, to Bolivia, Venezuela, uh, different Spanish-speaking countries, and then back to Mexico and back to Mexico. And every summer from the age of 11 until I was ooh, 22, and I moved to Mexico as a missionary, or maybe it was 23, I would go every summer. So here's the thing. I was learning Spanish as I was going, but nobody was teaching me Spanish. So I would learn, and then when I got into high school, there was only Spanish 1 and Spanish 2. And I spoke way too much Spanish for Spanish 1, so they just put me straight in Spanish 2. And 
the teacher that I had at that time had decided this was her last year of teaching. She was going to move to California and become a police officer. And so she just did lots of vocabulary and movies. And so I didn't get a lot of teaching then, but I was learning. So grammatically, I didn't learn a whole lot, but fluency-wise, I was learning. <clears throat> Fast forward, I went to college, and in college, I took French. Because I was already speaking Spanish, and I wanted to, to be able to go to South America. And in South America, they speak mostly Spanish, but there's this huge country in South America, Brazil, that speaks Portuguese. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be ministering in South America and Mexico, and, and, and any of, especially in South America, Portuguese might be handy. And they didn't speak Portuguese at the school. They didn't have that language. But Portuguese is half French and half Spanish. So I thought, if I learn French... I've got a shoe in. If I ever show up in Brazil, it shouldn't take me too long to put the two together and I should be able to, to pick it up. So I started taking French. And this is, this is where the, the story comes back around to apply to what we're talking about. So I quickly, I got into that class. Now, how many of you guys took French in high school? A few of you. See, you guys were the kids who went to college and then took French again. See, I had never, I had never studied French. I didn't know bonjour was two words. It's good day, bonjour. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know it all. But I got in that class and I started to listen. And, and because of how I had learned Spanish, just by listening and talking, and I had just learned by going and staying in someone's house who didn't speak English, I quickly learned to speak French and to understand French. And my professor told me this. She said, in 20 years, I've never had a student do so well and get such bad grades. Because I could say things because it sounded right, but I didn't know why. If you said to me, you know, how do you spell believe? I don't know. I have to write it out. I don't remember the I before E except after C. All the rules, I didn't understand, but I knew them. How many of you guys feel sometimes like that when, we're, when you're reading the Bible, you're like, does that apply to me? Yes. Why does it apply to me? Yes. I, I don't know. So I want to talk about how we know that a Bible verse means it is, is for me. And the first way that we know, Romans 8, 16, 17 talks about it. It says, the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. See, this verse is saying that God's Spirit speaks to our spirit because, why? Because we are children, we are His heirs. So one of the ways that we know is a spirit-level knowing. And sometimes you, you see this where a new Christian, have you ever heard someone say something and you don't necessarily know why, but you're just like, that? It's kind of like eating something with sand on it. You're just like, well, parts of it taste good, but I don't like the way it crunches in my mouth. This just, mm, I don't, mm, I don't know about that. See, when you hear something, when someone tries to wrongly apply a scripture, oftentimes God's spirit speaks to your spirit and says, uh-uh. And you just feel that. And you're kind of like me 
with Spanish and French. People would say, you know, that we're coming down to Mexico. When I lived there five years uh, after college and Bible school, I lived there for five years as a missionary, and, and people would be down there learning Spanish, and they would say, you know, how do you say this? And I would tell them how you say it. And they would say, why do you say it that way and not this way? And I would just have to say, because. Because I know, because that's what sounds right. If I say it the other way, it just, oh, that doesn't sound right. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit will speak to us. And a lot of times, baby Christians will recognize something that a seasoned person who's off trying to figure it out with their intellect misses because they're just sensitive to the Spirit. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. What that means is that God speaks to us through our spirit, the spirit of man. That is what he uses to light our path. But even though that is one of the reasons, we shouldn't stop there. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 17, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience and when, you, when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. <clears throat> he says here, be ready to give a defense. It is good for us to look for the understanding of what and, and how those scriptures apply. So we have a responsibility not just to be able to make it through life while making right choices, but also to gain enough understanding about the choices we make to help other people do the same. See, the problem with my Spanish is that I could do it, but it was hard for me to help explain it to others. I say, well, how do I know when to use that and when that other? I'm like, well, just listen a lot. I remember in, in, uh, in college, we would go skiing a lot, and I had a roommate who was extremely athletic. And he was really good at wakeboarding and and we liked to go wakeboarding. We would constantly bring people who would come. And in fact, if you didn't bring a lot of people, the wave wasn't big because we had an old school boat that was designed for slalom skiing and so there was barely a wave. But if you put a bunch of heavy people in the back, then you had a big enough wave to make a jump. So we didn't fight anybody. You, you know, hey, the more you weigh, the better it is. Come get in the boat. Let's go. And so we'd have all these people who had never done it before, and we'd always give them a chance. And I remember he used to just tell people, well, just get in there and do what feels right. Because to him, that's all he did. He just leaned back. He's like, well, and they'd get back there, and they'd lean too far forward, and they'd flop forward. And then they'd ask, what did I do wrong? He's like, well, just try again. You'll get it. You'll just feel it out. And my other brother, Samuel, who's pastoring now in Allendale, he has more of a gift for teaching and he would explain and he would be like, all right, well, at the beginning, you're going to lean back a little bit more. But as you come out of the water, you're going to have to lean forward. Otherwise, you're going to swoop out. And He would explain it step by step. That's what we need to strive for as Christians is to understand it. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says the following. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what is Scripture for? 
It is for equipping us, for teaching us, for correction, for instruction. The Bible is full of correction. It's full of instruction. It's full of examples. How many of you ever heard the Bible described as a letter from God to you? I agree. I think that's a good description. However, it's a little more complicated than that because how many of you have noticed that God isn't the only voice recorded in Scripture? Here are what we find in Scripture. And this is, this is as good Christians, how we can look down and we can get in the Scripture. This is the first question you want to ask when you are determining, does a Scripture apply to me? Who is talking and who are they talking to? Those are the first things that you're going to ask. Who's talking? Because here are the possibilities. You might have two righteous people talking amongst each other. You might have a righteous person talking to God. You may have um, a wicked person talking with other wicked people. So the wicked speaking amongst each other. You may have the righteous speaking about God. You can have the wicked speaking to God. You can have the wicked speaking about God. And there's even a couple of passages where the devil is talking. So when we look at a scripture, the key to determining whether that scripture applies to me is being aware of who is speaking to, who is, uh, who is speaking, who is being spoken to, and why. You may understand instinctively, you may feel in your spirit, I know that this applies to me. But then you look and you figure out who is talking. So, Emily and I have six kids, the oldest of whom just turned 16. Now, if we go out and buy him a car, what does that say to every other kid? What did you say? You're going to get a car. That, I mean, you wouldn't, there are a lot of conversations where we're talking about, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? But what does that say to everyone else? Because he is my child and I have, we have a relationship with him. And anything that is based on our relationship with him, the other kids understand applies to them because they have that same relationship. Now, <clears throat> when I was, I was going to say 16, I hadn't even turned 16. I was still driving with my permit. So my mom was sitting in the passenger seat and we were driving, we were on our way to someone's house we had never been to before. There was a little bit of snow falling. You know how this is going to go, don't you? There's a little bit of snow falling, and we're, we're driving along, and we're re- trying to read the little street signs to see when we come up to the right street. And I think it was Paradise, or My Paradise, or something like that was the name of the, the road that we were trying to find. And we're looking and looking, and we're coming up on one, And my mom says, that's the one. So I'm like, great, I can make this. And she tries to tell me, no, just go by. With her years of experience and understanding what those few snowflakes have probably done to the road. But I'm thinking, no, I can make that turn. So I just try to make that turn. 
and I slide not, you know, I don't go straight and I don't go turn, I just go right through. There was a telephone pole and one of those guide wires that came down and I went right between the guide wire and the telephone pole and that guide wire scraped across the hood, scraped up there, smashed the, the mirror into this and then there was a pine tree and it just came and smashed the hood of our car. And it was a Ford Bronco. We just got out, locked the hubs, put it in four-wheel drive, backed right out. But I had smashed the hood, had scraped along the side. There was, I think, about $1,500 worth of damage done to the car. And when I got home, I mean, I'm like, oh, what's my dad going to say? And he's like, well, you're going to pay for it. Now, <clears throat> I had three other siblings. When they heard that I was going to have to pay for that car, were they worried that they were going to have to pay? Well, for that accident? No. See, when, when my dad said, you have to pay, they understood. I wasn't being asked to pay because of my relationship. I was being asked to pay because of my choices. See, I had chosen to turn when I was told, go straight, go do a U-turn and come back. And they understood this particular statement by father wasn't telling them, oh, Josh has to, to give dad $1,600, we have to give dad $1,600. No. They understood he made choices, he's being spoken to based on those choices, if we ever make similar choices, then we can expect similar treatment. It was... <clears throat> so, we are God's children. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. I read this pa passage a couple weeks ago when, when I spoke. One of my favorite passages because Paul is explaining who God is to a group of people who don't have a clue. And he says, therefore, the one who you worship without knowing him, I proclaim him to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life, gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined in pre-appointed times and boundaries for their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. For in him we move and live and move and have our being. And as also some of your own poets have said, we are also his offspring. See, we are God's children. Romans chapter 2, verse 10 through 11 says, But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Let's read that verse again. There is no partiality with God. Another word, if you're not familiar with the term partiality, that means no favoritism. There is no favoritism with God. See, God says, you are my offspring, you are my children. And I don't have favorites. So that means that he treats us the same. 
So when we look through the Bible and we see God is speaking to the righteous, we need to say, that's me. When we find David in the Psalms or another righteous person speaking about what God is to him, a comfort, a shield, a protection, what do we say? That's me. He's talking about his son. That's one of my other siblings talking about what his relationship as a child of God looks like. He's describing my relationship. It's like our big brother turning 16 and getting a car. That puts a smile on your face. I tell you what. If we did that, and we have not done that, but if we were to buy a car for our oldest son, all of our kids would be thrilled. Because they would all automatically think, well, if as a son in this family, that's what you get as a, as a daughter, as a child, then I look forward to the same. So, as we close, let's look at a few of these verses and what they say about us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15 is talking about prayer. It says, this is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we ask of him. Who is talking? Paul is talking, or excuse me, John is talking there to the church. And he says, if we pray, we know that God hears. So does that apply to you and I today? Or is it only to those guys back then? It applies to us today. Jeremiah 29, 12 says, then, I will call, then you will call upon me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Who was he talking to? He was talking to his people. We are his people. We just read a moment ago that he has no favorites, not Jew or Greek. Meaning, it's not just Israel 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. And he says that God is faithful and he will strengthen and protect them. Does that apply to them? Yes. Does that apply to you and I? Yes. Peace, Psalms 4, 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. This is David, a man after God's own heart, talking about how God treats him. Does that apply to just David? No. That applies to us. Psalms 29, 11. The Lord will give you strength to his people and the Lord will bless his people with peace. How many of you have ever seen one of these little booklets, Who I Am in Christ? I have 35 of them sitting back at the Information Center, if anybody here would like one. And it's just a list of scriptures that talk about what God promises us in Him. And 
I was thinking about it today and I thought, I want you guys to be able to have a copy of that. I want you guys to know. Hooray for knowing because you know. But I want everyone to have that understanding that I can apply the Scripture to my life because I am a son or daughter of Christ. And I am in Christ. When I accepted the forgiveness that he gave me on the cross, when I did what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, and I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, I was saved. That's what the scripture says happened to you. You became a part of his family. You are a child of God. And everything he says to any of his children now applies to you. I see that hand back there. They're going, yeah. That's exciting. That is, I, I think about it. I, I love knowing the right answer, but I love understanding the right answer even better. And so I want you guys to have a deeper understanding of how and why Scripture applies to you. If you want to grab one of these booklets, they're free. You just go to the information center, say, I'd like to have one of those. Verse 35 of you will get one. If you still want one, I'm sure they could get your uh, email, name, number, something like that. I can get you one later if we run out. But I want to encourage you, when you go through Scripture, first of all, Look for that inner witness when, your spirit, when God's Spirit speaks to your spirit and says, yep, that's you. But oftentimes we call that a rhema word. When the word of God comes alive to you and you're just like, oh, that's me. God is speaking that to me. And understand that everything he spoke to his children all throughout the scripture, everything his children said of him and their relationship with him applies to you. And yes, there are situations where God is speaking to people based not on their relationship as a son, but based on their situation, their choices. When we see the devil talking, when we see the, the wicked talking, if you ever read the book of Job and you start getting confused and you're like, well, what is going on here? I mean, I see all of this stuff about, look who's talking and who are they talking to. In Job, you have several chapters where Job's friends come and try to figure out and explain why bad things are happening to him. In the later chapters, God shows up and says of them, you who spoke words, darkened words with no wisdom. In other words, God said, you were wrong, now let me tell you what's right. So you have to look at who. So when we see that stuff, how do I know that that all that crazy stuff that Job's friends doesn't apply to me because God came in the later chapter and said, that's not right, this is right. We look at who's talking, who are they talking to, and why. Anyway, if you are here and you know that you are a child of God, I want you to raise your hand. Woo! Good stuff. If you don't know, that is step one. The Bible says know that you have salvation. It doesn't say wait and find out if you have salvation. It doesn't say hopefully you will get salvation. It says know that you have salvation. And I quoted that scripture just a few moments ago. It just says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. If you're here today and you want to know that you are a part of the family of God, that your sins are forgiven, 
that you are right with God and on your way to heaven, you can leave here today knowing. If everyone would close their eyes just a moment, I'm going to ask if that's you and you want to know, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I say three, and we will pray that prayer together. And God promises that your sins will be forgiven and that you will be right with him. If that's you, raise your hand. One, two, three. I see one hand. Anybody else? Let's all pray together with that hand that's raised. So everyone repeat after me. Say, Dear God, I believe that you created the world to have a relationship with us. That we sinned. Every one of us has sinned and are separate from God by that sin. But that you sent Jesus who lived a perfect life and then died as a punishment not for his sin but for mine and then he rose from the dead I thank you and I accept the forgiveness that you offer I accept the forgiveness that that sacrifice acquired I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.